Today is November 4th, 2018. We're going to get to the sermon title in just a little bit. I don't know if you caught what Pastor Wade was saying just a couple minutes ago, but we've noticed kind of a trend going on here since the One Association Conference. Noticed something that the Holy Spirit is doing inside of this body ever since we got back. I I want you to just listen. Listen to the, the titles of the last six messages that we've had here. The first one, Gabe and Southey. This was on the 10th or on the 17th of last month. The Sons of Thunder preached fighting for your inheritance. Moving toward our inheritance always involves opposition. Somebody say always. Always. It always involves opposition. Isn't that right, Vincent? Thank you for that testimony. The opposition is external. The opposition is internal. But we are learning to destroy the opposition as we are led by the Spirit of God and rely on His faithfulness to help us to fight together. That was a good word. Yes, it was. Next, we had the pastors on the 21st of last month. Samed, team fighting. This was, this was a word from the trifecta, y'all. <laughs> we are many fighting as one, just as our Lord is a multiple, fighting in Ihad, perfect unity. In order to succeed, we must make sure that our families are succeeding and that we are yoked to each other in unity as we move forward together. Then we had Rick laughing in the devil's face, Lahan, last month on the 24th. Unfinished business, (laughs) men to the maximum. Rebuilding starts with the right assessment of your part of the foundation and wall. We must rebuild as we find strength doing the work together, being men to the fullest. Men, did that word bless you? Yes. You remember when he was talking about being a man, that just, that just kind of stirred something inside of me. And babe, that stirred something inside of our family too, hasn't it? (laughs) Ha ha ha. Then we had Brent, incensed of God, Vincent. He taught us on a Friday. It was laying the foundation of discipleship. He said, the foundation of discipleship in your own life and in the lives of the ones following after you must start with 100% obedience. This foundation that you lay needs to contain sustainability, growth, and replication so that the disciples learn to faithfully endure anything for the sake of Christ. If there was one family in this room that I could point to as a stellar example of that, it would be the Vincents this morning. Amen. Then we had the trifecta again on the 28th. From Adulam to the House of Heroes, we are building that House of Heroes together, shunning distractions of artificial pools and dead men on graves, so that we can be fully trained in righteousness and fully equipped to leave the cave of Adulam and build that heroic house. Lastly, we had Keith, the counselor. No nicknames required. It's just what he is. You see, Keith doesn't need a last name or any, any nice riddle. He's just the counselor. We had the counselor with Jesus as our counselor and advocate. And in the fellowship that he desires, we will be redefined as the face kicking sons of God that we are called to be. Somebody say amen. Amen. So this morning happens to be the seventh message in a spirit-ordained, unplanned series of events on the subject of building God's house the right way. 
This morning, the message is entitled, Walls of Steel. <laughs> Walls of Steel. You ready to get in the Word? Are you ready to get in the Word? Let's go back to Nehemiah 2. We're going to pick up where our pastors left off most recently. Say there when you're there. Everybody there? Gotcha. Let's pick up in verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem, it lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us, say let us, us. rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be disgraced. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me, and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us, let us, start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Where we're picking up this morning is on the concept of building that wall that God has called us to, but doing it with each other, doing it as us, doing it as one man. See, we have a great construction project ahead of us. We're building the kingdom of God. We're not building a business. We're not building some kind of great circus. We're not building a light show. This is not just a concert. We have a construction project ahead of us that is far, far greater than anything that one man can build. Far greater than what one man can leave as a dynasty. We're building the living, active kingdom of God. We're going to look at Genesis 2.18, if we can put that on the screen. Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Can any man in the room say amen? Amen. Come on, give me a better amen. You're sitting next to your wife right now. Say amen. It is not good to be alone, honey. Exodus 18, the 17th verse through 19. We're going to look at that on the screen as well. It says, Moses' father-in-law replied, what you're doing is not good. Uh-oh. Say not good with me. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This concept is an easer. And as we get in to Exodus 18, he's saying, what you are doing is not good. You need a helper. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. We're starting from the basic concept that after going through several weeks of marriage teaching, that it is not good for a man to be alone, that he needs an easer, that he needs a helper. And here Jethro is telling Moses that it's not good for him to be doing this. He needs a helper. He needs the help of God and men around him to accomplish the work that he has in front of him. Can you say in this room that you need a helper? That you need God-ordained help that is supernatural and more than just an attendant? We are working toward... Building something that God wants us to build that can hold weight. Something that something else can be established upon and something else can be established upon. And that cycle continue and continue and continue. And as we were considering that concept this week and for the previous three weeks that the Spirit has been leading us, something occurred to us. We hear all the time, you are an uncut stone that is being built into something for God. And we teach on it, we preach on it, we hear outside people talking about, man, you're an uncut stone, you're all unique, it's amazing. Well, 
The truth of the matter is, is that Deuteronomy 27, verse 6, and Joshua 8, 31, you guys can do that uh, sometime later, they talk about building an altar for God that God accepts, that sacrifices can be built on, t- or can be offered on top of. That's fantastic. I, I want an altar that, that sacrifices are pleasing and acceptable to God. But the thing is, is we're not being built into an altar. We're being built into the very temple of God where his presence will dwell. See, there's a difference there. Turn with me to 1 Kings chapter 5. We need to read here. We know that Jesus' life is the ultimate, ultimate example of what this looks like. But before he became flesh... We have 1 Kings chapter 5 and the regulations for the temple of God where the Spirit of God was going to dwell. Verse 15 says, Solomon had 70,000 carriers and 80,000 stonecutters. Why in the world would you need a stonecutter if you're uncut? In the hills, as well as 3,300 foremen who supervised the project and directed the workmen. At the king's command, they removed from the quarry Large blocks of quality stone to provide a foundation of dressed stone for the temple. The craftsmen of Solomon and Hiram and the men of Gabal cut and prepared the timber and stone for the building of the temple. So we find out here that the temple was prescribed to be dressed stones and they had to be cut. They had to be chiseled. They had to be molded in order to fit into the foundation in the wall for the house of God, for the dwelling of God. So how do we marry these two concepts? How do we marry the uncut stone with the dressed stone? Think about this. What do you do on top of an altar? You see, my sacrifice looks different than David Hall's sacrifice. Looks different than Brent's sacrifice. Looks, looks different than Elder Charlie's sacrifice. What we give up and leave behind that belongs to something else besides the kingdom of God. What we sacrifice, the time and the effort, whatever it is that we're sacrificing, it looks different from brother to brother. But I tell you, what you're becoming in the kingdom is a dress stone that looks the same as your brother. What you're being cut into is a pattern that Jesus Christ established and through Jesus to his 12 apostles and through the 12 apostles all the way down to you is a dress stone that looks exactly the same as one another. You see, there is a specific way of life. Somebody say specific with me. Specific. There is a specific way of life that only a certain type of dressed stone, one that's been chiseled and cut, is able to be a part of. Amen. Turn over with me to 1 Kings 6. One more chapter. Say there when you're there. There. Look, guys, the dwelling of God Almighty has walls of steel. That's what we're going after this morning. We need walls of steel. Amen. That's what the Lord's going to give us. But if you have an uncut stone that's trying to fit in with another uncut stone, that's trying to fit in with another uncut stone, it doesn't really hold weight very well. See, they're all jacked up. Somebody can just go over and kick that wall down and you're done. In 1 Kings chapter 6, in building the temple, verse 7, only blocks dressed at the quarry were used, and no hammer, chisel, or any other iron tool was heard at the temple site while it was being built. Look, this is what this tells us. If we're being built into God's house and we're dressed stones, 
You can't even be a part of the foundation of God's dwelling if you weren't already chiseled into shape at the quarry. That's discipleship, brothers and sisters. If you're chiseled at the quarry, then you are discipled and you are fit to be a part of God's house. You're fit to be the very structure where the Holy Ghost dwells. Turn with me to Revelation chapter, or Revelation chapter 21. While you're turning there, I want you to think about Acts 2.37 for a second. Peter's preaching with the other apostles, some of the other believers. And it says that while they were talking, the people around were cut to the heart. They said, what must we do? You're asking, how, how do I even become a dress stone? Discipleship, yes, but... What in discipleship makes you chiseled? Men, do you want to be chiseled? (laughs) Paul wants to be chiseled. Judah's already chiseled. We're working toward it. This is how we should be approaching words, teachings, conversations with one another, conversations with our pastor, conversations with other families. We should be approaching the word that it cuts our heart and chisels our heart to form us into the dress stone that it should look like. Amen. Revelation chapter 21 verse 14 says, The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. See, those twelve foundations which were the twelve apostles were chiseled into the very shape and form that their discipler took. Are you being chiseled this morning? into the very shape and form that is your disciples. Are you being cut into that? Because those 12 foundation stones of the apostles, that is the very thing that holds the weight for the entire city, for the entire temple. And if you don't have that, then you got nothing. It falls on its face. And false foundations are being laid everywhere. Make sure that the word of God is chiseling out your heart that you can be a dressed stone. The apostles laid a fantastic foundation for us. To this day, we are building upon it. Right now, what those men's lives did, we are standing upon. We would not have the gospel if it were not for their work. But this morning's not about them. It's about our foundation. It's about what we are laying in our life, in our generation, and what rises before our king. Turn with me back to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to go to the fourth chapter and the 13th verse. Say foundation when you get there. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall, at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons and your daughters, and your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to his own work. Brother Rick, laughing in the face of the devil, Lahan, has instructed us in the way that this construction begins with our own families and our own households. It is our basic responsibility to fight for our own home. Say amen to the maximum. We're going to be men to the maximum fighting for our homes. What we want to call to your attention today is the families that they're stationed next to. These men were stationed next to each other on a 
wall that was broken, that was disassembled, that they're working to rebuild and shape into the house of God. And there is an enemy lurking around. Something has set them ablaze where they're frantic, picking up their swords and spears. But when they saw that God had frustrated the enemy's plan, the enemy left and they went back to their work. See, when you're at war and when you're on a large construction project, you depend upon each other. Families are stationed with their swords, the word of God in their spears next to each other. They were stationed all around the kingdom of God because they each had a part to play, but they couldn't play it by themselves. I want you to begin to think about this body and the kingdom that you are building and standing in now. There are men and women like the Lawhans, the Molochs, the Dangs, the Thomases and the Hewitts. We have Assad and Kayla, we have the Powells, we have Robert and Nicole, the Smiths and Browns, the Thomases and the Hewitts. These are just a few names of families in the church that are not elders, are not pastors, but are participating in the body. When you look around to your left and right now, who's sitting next to you? Who are you stationed with? Who are you building with? Who are you at work with? Sitting here engaged in this. How well have you intertwined your lives with the people that are on your left and right? Is there someone that you're stationed with in this body? As the grand scheme of things in the one association, we are one house. We are one group and we represent a collective that is going to feed the nations. How well have you trained yourself to work with people that are around you? See, I have a confession to make. Asad and Caleb have been in the church for quite a while. They're a fantastic couple. I love their kids, too. They're little fireballs, and they're playing around with our kids, and they had a great time on Friday night. But the confession is that they've been here for almost a year, and this is the first time that I had dinner with them. How well do you know the people on your left and right? Are you depending upon them? Have you looked at your life and decided that these men are where I am called to be and work with? See, When you take it seriously like that, you don't go a year without having dinner with a couple. And I'm so glad that we finally made up for that year and got to spend a little bit of time with each other. You know why? Because they blessed my life. You are stationed with the men and women that are on your left and right, and we have to learn how to partner together. When you are building a wall, it's not monuments. It's connected. It is not possible for me to build a wall and Nick to build a wall. They have to intermingle, and they have to interlock. And if they don't, then we've got a big issue for the city. The reason that this is a shadow and type of the kingdom of God being built on earth is that it's not a one-man job. It's not a one-family job. It is the job of families who are stationed together. And if I start to build with a foundation that's a little bit off, I didn't do the chiseling the way that I should. By the time that we are rising, I'm starting to lean. I'm starting to move into a different direction. And you know what that does? It causes friction and issues with the brothers that are around you. See, an issue with refinement, with the discipleship, with cut stones, doesn't always show up as an explosive thing. It just, you know, I don't really blend with them that well. If you're sitting in a Christian body of some of the finest men and women that you have ever met, if we're just being frank, and yet all around you, you have trouble meshing with the majority of the body, then we got an issue that is back down towards those foundation stones. See, we're building upon the apostles' work, and it's our job to replicate what they did. 
They set a foundation for all of Christianity. How important do you think that it was set rightly? See, right now, the generations that are coming after us, they're dependent upon where our families are stationed and how we work in it. Sometimes this shows up in your family lifestyle. Sometimes it shows up in your theology. Something of your foundation, though we are all living and offering our own sacrifices, has got to be uniform in the pattern in the way of life because He put you here. If He wanted you somewhere else, He would have put you there. He drew you here through miraculous testimony, through the moving of the Holy Spirit, even when you weren't paying attention to it. It is a miracle that we're all standing here. And that's because the men and women on your left and right, we're all made tenor lock with. There is no one in here that it is okay for us not to be stationed with, to not know how to depend upon, to not be seeking fellowship with, because we are one house and we will feed the nations together. Living together is not the only test for partnership. Many of the families in this church, though, have chosen to live together because they're trying to further that partnership. Who in this room are you close enough with for them to see your life in progress? Who is close enough to help you examine your own foundation? In this room, do you have multiple families that are close enough to you to see the areas that your foundation is getting off? Or that you're getting it right and you're able to encourage them through your life in progress? Or is it only the pastors who are able to correct you and see into your life? See, a big test for whether or not you're partnering with men and women around you is not whether or not you go eat lunch on occasion. It's not whether or not you're very friendly on Sundays and go spend some time together after church. Hey, brother, how you doing? Hey, how was your week? (laughs) Oh, so good. Oh, it was good. So was mine. See, that told me nothing. I have no idea how he's doing. The test for whether or not you're partnering with men and women is whether or not they know how you're actually doing. See, I need these men. I need men like Peyton. I need men like Nick. I need men like Daniel, like JJ, who are close enough in my life to where we are not just talking about a blanket statement of how I was, but we're actually stationed together. I talk to Daniel. I talk to Justin almost every day because... Frankly, our incomes depend upon it. We're trying to make sure that we survive in a natural sense. How much more so the spiritual condition of our families must we learn to station ourselves together and partner in this fight? Let's put uh, Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1 on the board there for a second. Can, can we talk about your, your part of the foundation for a second? Your, your part of the wall? Is that okay? You know, so many times... We think about Satan coming against us, and the way that we think about it is, man, uh, he's going to cause us to fall away. We're going to fight against Satan so that we don't fall away. Well, the thing about that statement is, is that so many steps come before Satan actually causing you to fall away. You see, the first step in that process is Satan causing your building to stagnate. Satan causing what you build to be built wrong, or to stop building. And he causes that pause, or that misunderstanding inside of you, and it plants that seed that eventually leads to you falling away. Let's read Nehemiah chapter 4. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. 
That is the negative aspect of what Brett and Teresa are. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates in the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? You see, when we examine our own foundation and wall, we find out something. We find out that some of our theology is jacked up. It's messed up. It's on a bad foundation. It's not sturdy. When we examine our foundation, when we examine our wall, we figure out, dang, my marriage does not look like Christ in the church. It looks like something completely different than that. When we examine our our relationship with our children, man, I have been dropping the ball in disciplining my family and my children the way that God wants me to. I'm not following the word of God there at all. My foundation is flawed. It's actually stalled out because it's easier not to work. So many things come into view when we're looking at a faulty foundation. Can you guys track with us on this? Another thing that you might look at, say, wow, the discipleship that I'm engaged in is really a lot more surface level than I thought it was. I brush shoulders with my pastors. I have those surface level conversations with my brothers. But I'm really not, really haven't dug down to that bedrock and laid the foundation the way that it's supposed to be. We have a promise and a question in Nehemiah chapter 4 verse 2. The question is, can these feeble stones live? Can these feeble stones, these feeble foundations in your life live? Well, the answer could be no or yes, depending on what you do today. You see, the feeble stones that you're laying, they have the opportunity to live if you dig deep. You dig deep and you lay them on the rock. You dig deep and you you look to the disciples, you look to the pastors, you look to your brothers and you say, I see their building, their portion of the wall right there and I see what it looks like and now I'm going to start building so that I can join with them. So that these dressed stones look like dressed stones, they've been chiseled and so that our wall can form together and become one. See, the way that I have been building, this isn't going to match up. This doesn't look like everybody else. This doesn't look like my pastors, my disciples. This doesn't look anything like what they're building. I need to stop. The Holy Spirit has been so good. He's illuminating this to me. He's opening up my eyes. Now I need to start chiseling. I need to start chiseling away at my discipleship. I need to start chiseling away at my wife and my children. I need to get these things right. Because look, only faithfulness over time is going to get you to the point where your wall fits in with your brother's wall. Amen. Only faithfulness over time. You might not be able to see it right now, but I tell you the truth. Faithfulness over, over time will enable you to see your wall join with other people's. And you might not get that opportunity if you're not faithful. So Sam Ballard here represents almost the devil himself. And he's asking you, LCM, can these stones live? What is the response that you're going to give him? Can these stones live? Isaiah 49 says, Can plunder be taken from warriors? Or captives rescued from the fierce? But this is what the Lord says. Yes, 
captives will be taken from warriors and plunder retreat from the fierce. I will contend with those who contend with you and your children. I will save the God of all creation is saying, yes, when you stand and you say, yes, these stones can live. Yes, it is in disrepair. Yes, it is in rubble. And I know that it is there, but my God will help me and I'm willing to get to work on it. That's when our children are saved. That's when captives are rescued. That's when the fierce are put to shame. See, in this room, the Spirit of God is saying, yes, I will help you live. Yes, I will help you build the walls. Yes, when you recognize your state, I will strengthen you. Do you want to be strengthened? Yes! So let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to join some of these concepts together. We're going to start reading in verse 4. Say foundation when you get to 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter 2, 4 says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Check this out. We're being built into a spiritual house we're being built into those dress stones that we've been talking about. And as we're being built into those dress stones, we are also offering the uncut stones of sacrifice that look different from me to Brandon to Daniel to any of you guys. These sacrifices look different from family to family. But we're all building the exact same foundation and walls for the Holy Spirit to dwell with us. So many times we think about this in a myopic kind of me and my family and my ministry and my calling kind of view. Guys, what we're building here is so much bigger than that. What we're building here goes, goes 12 time zones away. It's that big. What we're building here goes all the way down to Peru in a different hemisphere. Guys, it's all over the place. And with this being the foundational elements and the walls that we must build, this is important. It's important for what the Lord wants to do with us in the future, everywhere. See, we sacrifice on the altar. and We're being chiseled to look exactly like Jesus Christ and his apostles and our disciples look. We're learning as a body to offer acceptable sacrifices. I want to let you in on a secret. Only like three or four scriptures from this whole sermon came from Nick or I. We work in teams. We work with the pastors, we work with the elders, we work with men like JJ, men like Caleb, and we are all striving to see what the Holy Spirit wants to say. And then the question just becomes, who happens to speak on it that morning? Because we're stationed together. Because we want to hear what he has to say and offer an acceptable sacrifice through our lives, through our actions, and even the way that we put together a sermon. We're going to camp out in Luke 6 for a minute. This is a gem that JJ Moloch gave us. We're going to pick up in verse 40 first. Say foundation when you're there. I'm hearing some foundation stones being laid. A student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher. See, When I read this, I have a list of squealing excuses that come out in my mind really quick. One of the first ones that, you know, tends to pop up is, 
Oh, I'm like them. I'm at the church. I'm listening to the same, same passages. I'm studying the Monday night Bible study, but I am unique, you know, and I have my own calling. Everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. We're a church that is exceptionally diverse, both in a natural sense and in a calling. We recognize that men and women in this room are called to various things, but it is our obligation to conform ourselves to the image of Christ as is displayed through the leadership here, because that is who is training us. The Lord of all creation brought you here, not because you were just messed up. We were all messed up, but because you were messed up and he saw something inside of you that he knew he could bring out, that you could replicate what was here, that you could be fully trained and you could be like the teacher. See, he didn't bring anyone here just for condemnation. He didn't bring any man into the kingdom of God so that he could stay as he was. He brought you here because through progressive discipleship, through increasing resistance, you might break barriers in your life that have held you for years. The reason that we are here this morning is because we are being transformed so that we can be fully trained and we will experience the same hardships and the same blessing as our teacher and as Jesus Christ. See, our master was persecuted. He was nailed to a cross. And he displayed godly character and maturity in a way that the world had never seen. It was the first time. Here and now, right now, each of us are conforming our own ideas, our own walk into the image of Christ. And when you lay down your own will, your own agenda, your own desires for your life, he will begin to make that actually come about. We don't have the ability to hold on to our own image of what the wall should look like, our own image of what the tabernacle should be or the temple should be. And still fulfill the plan of God. Because from the day that you were born, he has had a plan for you. He knows what it's supposed to look like. He knows the peace that JJ is, the peace that Steve is, the peace that Rick is. And it is his job as the potter to form you into what you're called to be. Those words that he's given you, we must hold on to tightly and treasure them. But at no point in time do we have the right to extrapolate as to how we're going to perform the function. A brick Inside of a stone, that a living wall doesn't get to decide where it gets placed. It doesn't get to decide where it gets chiseled. The reason that we are sitting here now is because God can see inside of us, in the midst of all the other things that are surrounding our lives, what He's called us to be. And He is working to chisel it out of us. Look at verse 46. Skim down just a little bit. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house who dug down deep. Say dug down deep. And laid the foundation on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Who in this room wants a well built house? See, each of us, as we're maturing in Christ, we're learning, we're growing, and we're learning to dig deeper and deeper and deeper until we find the bedrock of Christ in an area in our life. We, in LCM, we do not preach on things that we are not personally living out and replicating. So when we speak about digging back down into your foundation and shoring things up so that they are within the pattern, within the way, and chiseling, that is something that is actively working in our lives. There is a stellar-looking redhead on the front row. 
And I am proud of the woman that Borsh gave me, and I am discipling into the woman that she's called to be. About six months ago, we came to a place where we took everything that was going on in our life, and we eliminated anything that was not the central function. And we went right back down to ground zero where our foundation was. Okay, so what did God speak to us? What is it that we know we're here on this earth for? And we spent from now to that point doing nothing but reworking that foundation until we had those cracks shored up, until we had those broken places shored up, because we cannot continue to build on top of a foundation that we did not get right from the beginning, because we're called to build walls of steel. Not falling rumble, rubble, not a house of cards, not the Tower of Babel. We're building something that is going to stand for eternity and be there for our God to see when he comes back. The end result of that has been that it has benefited our marriage, has benefited our children, and has benefited the people that we partner with on a daily basis. It's hard to know how badly it is hurting your progress when you have a foundational area messed up and you haven't taken the time to go back and fix it. See... The thing that I believed, that many people believe, is that, oh, we're, we're engaged in this, and we, we can't backtrack. We can't take the time to go back and fix this because we have things going on. No, you have no idea how much time you're wasting by not going back to get those foundational items right. That's why the pastors will take as much time as they do to preach on marriage. Another one that we're here to discuss today is our relationships with our brothers and sisters on our left and right. You see... We have an obligation, not just to have a cordial relationship, not just to moderately like each other, but to engage and build something that we can lock arms with, that we can depend upon, because we are one house. Just like in your own home, you must have every child. You must have your wife all in one order in shalom, and they must partner together. It is unacceptable for us to be divided. Pastor Wade shared beautifully after the prophecy. That we hear that and we think, yes, we shouldn't be divided. But how often do any of us sit and reflect, where am I divided? Because if God gave that to me, then there must be areas that I am not in unity with the people in my left and right. The prophecy that he gave us is that we have divisions that must be broken in this room right now. Because when we break down those divisions, we begin to lay a foundation that can support a real wall that can support a structure that will last through eternity, that will deal with the Antichrist and hold on to faithfulness, that will see faithfulness when the Son of Man returns. Do you want to give Him faithfulness? Then we've got to go back down to that foundation and dig up anything that is not in right order. It's not possible to move on until we get it right. See, I, I love my brothers. They work very hard to help me. If you find that the people around you are trying to join with you, trying to help you, but there's always some kind of strange friction where it's not meeting up. Maybe it's because you've allowed things to get off center and they're trying to meld with somebody who's not standing in the straightness of the spirit. Right now, we need to take the time to evaluate our relationships all around us, both with God, with man, with our brothers, with our wives, even in the way that you're raising your children, whether discipline is on par with the biblical standard, because everything that we are laying now is a foundation for the generations to come. Brent and Teresa are first fruits of the things that are going to continue to spill out of this body. But we're taking the time to get the foundation right so that what we build is true to the standard. This is LCM, and we preach about our personal wrestlings. This is the seventh message, not the series. 
We didn't sit together and say, yes, we're going to preach on one subject for seven weeks. This is what each of these men, including us, have been personally wrestling through. This is six months in the work. Projects that have lasted way too long. That have culminated in what has been spoken now. So sitting in Turkey, what we were studying was the foundation of the temple. Was the stirring of Nehemiah. And taking the time to sit and evaluate our own hearts and our own life. And whether or not we are following that pattern. The reason for that is because it's building upon itself. A wall is rising through this series in and of itself. But for us to get each of the things that we started out this service by listing, we have got to get the foundational steps right. For each of these to build upon each other, we can't ignore one of the seven. Our entire sermon is pointless if we don't walk back through it and intentionally apply these to our lives in a way where we are able to rise as high as the king wants us to go. The Holy Spirit said it. And he didn't just say it once. He said it multiple times, and he's saying it again. It's time for you to break the walls down. And after you break the walls down, it's time for you to build again in unity with your brothers. There are things that must be broken down because they are not in unity with the brothers. Holy Spirit said it. What things need to be kicked down, need to be broken down, because when you look to your left and your right, it doesn't jive. It will not hold. It will not come together with what what your brothers are building. When you go and you kick down, which is the first step, after you kick it down, And you go to build again. You must build in the unity that comes with linking arms with your brothers and sisters and doing it together. Go to Joshua chapter 6. We're about to move on from this point. But we want to make sure that it is done the justice that the Holy Spirit wants it done. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 25, says, But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family, with all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. At that time, Joshua pronounced this solemn oath. Cursed before the Lord is the man who undertakes to rebuild this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, will he set up its gates? Look, Jericho's foundation, we know, it was built on a pile of sand. It was strong-ish, but it's something that the Lord knocked down. Used his people to utterly destroy. Because it was in the way of the foundation that God Almighty wanted to set with his people. That, that foreign foundation was in the way. So he said, it's time to knock it down. It's completely unproductive. What's being produced out of the Jericho foundation is not good for anything. And he destroyed it. We have to demolish and dig back to the rock to lay a foundation because the prophecy here is cursed before the Lord is the one who undertakes to rebuild the city Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn son, he will lay its foundations. At the cost of his youngest, he will set up its gates. 
Let's get out of ourselves for a second and think about the generational ministry, the generations that are coming after you right now, the foundations that you have already laid, the, the theology that you are holding on to uh, for, dear, for your dear life, not willing, you see, all around, not willing to let it go. The ways that your life and your family are not lining up. This is where that leads. You're laying a separate foundation. And what it leads to is the death of your firstborn and your youngest. What it leads to is the death of the next generation. You look at the whole church world around us. Pastors' kids are the worst, they say. There's a reason for that. It's because the, the foundation that they are laying is not the foundations that Jesus and the disciples laid. They were not properly discipled, and so their whole next generation is completely and utterly destroyed. What they're laying is at the cost of the generation that is coming after them. Brothers and sisters, this couldn't be any more serious. Is there something that, a wall or some foundation that you need to kick down today? Because the Spirit of God says, yes, yes, there is something. Yes, there is a foundational element that you're laying that does not belong there. Jesus wants his generations. Jesus wants the next generation as his own. He wants the next generation built on a solid foundation with dressed stones. This couldn't be in any more serious word for this season. It's the seventh word on the same topic, guys. And we're going to get it this morning. Amen. We're going to knock it down this morning. We're going to start rebuilding exactly how the Lord wants us to in unity, together, looking to one another, having meaningful conversations and meaningful cutting of the word inside of our hearts. Amen. Counselor gave us a good warning about the enemy's desire to alienate us. Galatians 4 tells us about men who have come in and they wish to alienate them from Paul, from the original teaching, from the standard and foundation that he laid in their lives. And because of it, he says that he's in labor pains, as if he's fighting to produce fruit, but nothing is coming forth. See, the result of us allowing ourselves to be isolated is fruitless, painful work that in the end is not worthwhile. And that's not what any of us want for you. Our desire this morning is for us to begin to grab hold of what we need so that we don't suffer the consequences of repeating the same action year after year after year. When all that we have to do is get back down to the foundation, fix it, and then we can begin to build and move on with the wall that God has called us to. Ephesians chapter 6. Come on. Come on with us. Come on. Say wall when you're there. Oh, we're changing from a foundation to a wall. We're building something this morning, church. Come on. Get to Ephesians 6 and land on the 21st verse. And move away from this alienation. We're going to move away from this false sense of security. That just because proximity is in our life with brothers and pastors doesn't mean that we're building our own wall correctly. Doesn't mean that we're looking at our brothers and helping them build their wall correctly. Proximity means almost nothing if you're not doing this correctly, if you're not being chiseled correctly. Verse 21 says something amazing, and it's something that we woke up with this morning. The Spirit said, Ephesians 6, 21, and we went there, and guess what? It was a word from heaven. Amen. So this has nothing even to do with any of us. This has everything to do with the Lord. 
I want to talk to you about Tychicus. Somebody say Tychicus. Tychicus. That's probably so wrong. The dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, this is Paul speaking, by the way, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am. Somebody say how I am. How I am. And what I am doing. Somebody say what I am doing. What I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. Somebody say how we are. We are. That That he may encourage you. Somebody say encourage you. Encourage you. Guys, when we're looking... When we're with the brotherhood, when we're, when we're building and helping our brothers to build their part of the wall, it's so much more than surface level because what you actually have to do is go to them and figure out how they are and what they are doing. You actually have to have a conversation. Hey, Treester, how you doing? Well, eh, he's okay. What are you doing? Standing here, just part of this. Yeah, that doesn't work. It's surface level and it's deceptive to us. It's deceptive thinking that we have the true fellowship of believers in this body when we're operating like this. You see, when I go up to Pastor Wade, I'm like, Pastor Wade, how are you? Uh, Pastor Wade is an amazing example because he actually tells me how he is, what he's going through. He tells me what he did that day, what his last couple days actually looked like. And it's something that is mutually beneficial to both of us. And we're not deceived into thinking that we have some kind of fellowship. We actually are working for each other and with each other in unity when we have a conversation like that. And it actually presents an opportunity for the word of God and discipleship to cut our hearts the way that it should. You see, this is just such a a little thing, a little aspect of what we do that needs to get knocked down and rebuilt in unity that looks something a little bit different. You guys with us? Yeah. We've got to think about this for just a minute. So, if you don't know how your brother is doing, is it because you don't have a desire to know? You don't care? Or is it because you're hiding something superficial at the same time and you don't want them to press in the opposite direction? Uh-oh. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. You've ever... Walked into work and not asked what somebody else did on the weekend because you didn't want them to ask what you did that weekend? The way of Cain is one who had bad intentions towards his brother in his heart. He didn't want what was best for him. He was more concerned with his own selfishness, his own way of life. And in the end, it resulted in murder. But when God asked him, how are you doing? Why is your face downcast? He didn't have a decent response. And then he asked, where is your brother? And he said, am I my brother's keeper? The majority of the time, what is your thoughts and response about the men and women in this room? Is it more in line with Cain or is it more in line with God? Do you view it as your responsibility to be supporting the people around you, to actively trying to invest in their life, to be pouring yours out and setting an example of what openness is? See, when we're sitting in this room and we choose to remain isolated, that is the spirit of Cain. It's not the spirit of God. It's actually a spirit of murder. You're just doing it a little more subtly. You're murdering a relationship. You're preventing the body from doing what it is called to do, from building upon itself. It's really not funny. It's murderous. Every person in this room is a building block that is valued, that is needed for the construction of the wall. 
But we're really going to have to get rid of that spirit and it's not a laughing or trite kind of thing. Right now, we've got to take the assessment of where have I allowed a spirit that is not the spirit of Christ? Because that's what that spirit is. It is Satan himself working inside of men. And we must be people who can make a distinguishment between the two. Which side of that have the majority of your actions fallen on and where can we step into the light today? We're going to move from here and continue to work into building that wall. But right now, we've got to make a distinction between what is funny and what is not funny. What is serious and what is righteous. What is wicked and what is immoral. This is one of those things that we treat as a light matter, but is actually the spirit of Cain and the devil himself working in mankind. So right now, how much of the devil are you allowing in your foundation with the men and women that are around you? See, this ought to be sobering right now. How to have everybody's attention. You are holding on to the way of Cain when you value your own life and your own agenda more than your friends. And the end result of that is murder, whether on a spiritual or a physical extent. Now think about the converse of that. When we are throwing away the way of Cain and we're following God's example of pressing into each other's life and offering right sacrifices like Abel, it produces life. It produces the kingdom of God on earth. It produces the family of the faithful. Let me give you a, uh, an example that everybody can see. And I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we've got some foreign ministers who are us sitting here, Brent and Teresa. Do you know that every week, once a week, every week, our pastors are video calling with our foreign ministers? And I can tell you it's, it's a whole lot more than, hey, how you guys doing? I'm doing great. How are you? Okay, great. Good meeting, guys. Let's hang up the phone now. It's a whole lot more than that. I, I can't even tell you how deep their conversations are. But guess what? Are we supposed to be imitating their way of life? If they can go with a 12-hour difference, our foreign pastors and our, our disciples right here, if they can faithfully speak to one another on much more than just a surface level every single week, then what do you think our responsibility is to one another? What do you think our responsibility is to talk about our families with one another? You see, we've got the example. It's not like we've never seen it before. It's just that we've never applied it before. It's not like, uh, it's, not like it's out there somewhere. It's just not important enough yet for us to apply it. But we're going to knock down that nasty old wall that doesn't look like what it's supposed to. And we're going to start laying a foundation on the bedrock that is the example that we receive and start building it up in unity. We're going to start having these conversations with one another. We're going to start going deeper than just surface level and saying, how you doing, brother? Man, I'm doing great. Family's great. Life is great. Work's great. Everything's great. It's great. We're going to stop that. We cannot, also on this topic, we cannot build foundations over social media. You can't build foundations with each other over text messages. You can't, do, you can't do these things with one another because it's just another counterfeit that makes you feel good and makes you feel like you're in communication with the body. It doesn't work that way. And guess what? We're not talking about ministry partners alone. This is nope. just the standard for the family of God. 
This is what the family of God does. If you're a part of the family of God, if you're being chiseled and shaped into that stone, then this is how that stone is shaped. This is one of the aspects of that stone is that you go deep with one another in this kind of fellowship. If we go back to Rick's word, we're speaking about the families that are just stationed next to each other. They just live next to each other in the kingdom of God. They were brought into the same house, the same region, the same vicinity. This has nothing to do with a select covenant that is made for ministry in a foreign location or in a domestic location. This is just the body of Christ in the house that we stand in. And that was an excellent word from him. Because each of us are stationed next to each other by God's design this morning. We're so proud of the guy's house too. They came in with, with their own ideas about what they want to do with living situation and how they want to carry it out. And oh, maybe multiple houses, maybe this, maybe that. And then they heard from God. And they sat down and said, no, we need to all be together because we need to implement this daily and weekly. How are you doing, brother? Where are you, brother? Where have you been? How can I strengthen you? I'm getting strengthened from this conversation. Oh, my God, I'm so blessed from this conversation. This was amazing. Let's do it again tomorrow. They need that kind of conversation and and uh, building together. And so the guy's house is going to be one guy's house. That's of God. It was from the scripture. It's exactly what we're preaching on. And that happened this week. It couldn't be any better. So let's turn to Acts. Actually, we've got a slide, don't we, Pastor? Can we put that slide up? Man, what a good looking slide. Thank you, Pastor Wade. Here are three scriptures from the book of Acts. Just want to make you guys privy to this as you're thinking about building in unity with one another and the location that you're building. Look at these scriptures with us. Acts 2, 46 and 47. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Well, that's pretty cool. The Lord added to their number daily. But if the temple courts is just kind of like right here, they met together right here, and if their homes are also kind of like by themselves, like you go into the door and you close the door, then how in the world was the Lord adding to their number daily those who are being saved? I got to scratch my head at that one. Let's read Acts 5.42. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. I have the same thing here. What's going on? We got temple courts. Like, in my mind, it's something like this. And from house to house, okay, in my mind, it's something like, hey, you guys come over to the kibbutz. Let's shut the door and talk about the word. Awesome. Absolutely necessary. But look at this next verse. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And when we read this last verse, we got it. You see, the temple courts were public. You you go and you walk into the city, into where everybody is, you walk into the temple courts, and they are open for everybody in the middle of a bustling metropolis. And it's a very, very public place. So they met in a public place and talked about the word, and they also met in people's homes and talked about the word, and what we're doing this morning is a given. What, what we're doing on Sundays and Wednesdays is just an absolute given. Yes, of course the body of Christ is supposed to meet uh, at those times, but we're also 
in unity, supposed to get together at each other's houses and do this, and we're supposed to be getting together outside of others' houses and do this as well. Public and from house to house. Somebody say public. Public. And from house to house. I can't tell you the kind of unity that being in somebody's house brings to my family. When we enter into somebody's house or they enter into ours, man, I can't tell you the kind of unity that that, that fosters between us. I also can't tell you what kind of unity when we're sitting there and we're talking about the word in a very public setting and we're doing it together and we're having conversations with lost people together and tackling them together and watching life come from them together and having discipleship with the lost together. Uh, I can't tell you what kind of unity that brings. It's a completely different spectrum. So examine your foundation here. Are both of these at work? Are you house to house and are you in public? Are both of these working together to form you and unify us as a body together? Are we doing both of these things? If not, kick it down and, and build it again. If not, kick it down this morning and start building in unity on this foundation one more time. Do you guys want to build? You want to build a wall of steel? Go to 1 Timothy 4. We're going to pick up in the 15th verse. Say wall of steel when you get there. Wall of steel. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them. See, this is how we begin to build. Removing from correcting the foundation, which we're going to do today, into adding to it by dealing diligent in the matters that we've discussed. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. To the public and private, it's not possible for them to watch your progress and doctrine closely without you doing it for the world to see. Persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This is how we win, unified with each other, under Christ, in complete transparency with each other. We must persevere and pursue it, and grow in it, and grow in our conversations with each other, in our fellowship with each other, and in our ministry to the world around us. Everyone comes with a hymn. Everyone comes with a song, a word of prophecy. This is the attitude that we are meant to take any time we are meeting with believers because we are supposed to enrich each other's lives. There's no longer any room left for us to wait and to wave clean things up to tell our brothers what's going on. And this is a big one. We often want to wait until we fix the problem before we mention to anybody that something happened. We want to wait till we feel like we've got it under control. What is the point of having men with swords, spears, and shields around you stationed next to you if they're not supposed to help you win? Do you want to win, church? Yes. I want to win. The way that we do that is with each other. It is not by ourselves. It's not off in a corner and then we come present ourselves. We are a family. We are a team. And we are building the house of God together. We must help each other win. How many resources with the men and women on your left and right have you been left, left untapped? You haven't used any of them. What is at your disposal in the kingdom of God when we begin to really get involved in the men and women that are in this body? There are some called supernatural people in this room. We have the kingdom of God and his power at our hands right now. This church is unique. It follows the way that is lined out in scripture and we are constantly transforming ourselves to be more and more like it. But can we really say that we don't have what we need at our disposal? Can anyone in this room say that you don't have what you need? 
See, there is no credence to that. We just haven't tapped into it. We, we haven't begun to advance in the way that we can. A huge part of what we are desiring to see happen in this body is men, no more than just their mezuzah statement, begin to hone it in, to learn to function in it, to learn how they relate to the rest of the men in the room and how to carry that out. Because our body is raising itself up into the kingdom. And a kingdom has many pieces. It has many stations. It has many workings. But the men know what they're called to and how to do it. That is what we are made to be like. Jeremiah 30. We're going to look at 6 through 9. You can start to turn there and I'm going to read. Ask and see. Can a man bear children? Can some women in the room say no? (laughs) Then why do I see every strong man? That word is gibber. With his hands on his stomach, like a woman in labor, every face turned deathly pale. Even the strongest amongst us will have nothing but decades of fruitless labor if we are not unified. Even if you are super spiritual, you're anointed, you might even call yourself a super apostle. Off on your own, it doesn't matter how hard you work or how long you do it. If you don't learn to be unified and pull men into your life and relationship, it is fruitless labor. And you'll end up turning deathly pale and having nothing to show for it. Unfortunately, that's been the case with far too many men of God. How awful that day will be. None will be like it. It will be a time of trouble for Jacob, but he will be saved out of it. God, there is a day coming when Israel will be wholly redeemed. That their desolate state will be redeemed in the apple of his eye. The one chosen above all other nations will be redeemed. In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bonds. No longer will foreigners enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. You see, what the whole world is longing for, what Israel needs, is to be unified under their king. To break off the yoke. To break off the chains that have been holding you back. Those attachments, those snares, those things that have kept you from rising in the way that you were intended to be. See, it's not your friends, it's not the pastors, it's not anybody who's holding you back other than the sin that we refuse to deal with. But when we deal with it, we become what we were actually made to be. As we really are as we remove the yeast. We already looked at Galatians just a little bit. Paul expresses very similar to Jeremiah. We're going to read it this time. Verse 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want to do is alienate you so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good. What are you zealous for? What do you find that you're overwhelmed with passion for? Is it more likely to be for anger and frustration? Is it more likely to be for depression? What is it that you are zealous for and is the defining feature of what you are most passionate about on a daily basis? Because what they were seeking was to make them zealous for things that were not for a good purpose. And to be so always, and not just when I am with you, my dear children, for whom I am again in pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. How I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I'm perplexed about you. See, Galatia is in northern Turkey. These are spirit-filled Christians. They got born again under the preaching of the apostles. Life transformed out of darkness into light. And yet here we sit and they're zealous for things that they should not be. They're perplexing the Apostle Paul. And he, as mighty as he was in his preaching, is like a woman in labor that gives birth to nothing. 
See, what we choose to do, we are the inheritance for the men who've gone before us, and we help determine what the inheritance for our children will be right now. But what is required here and in Jeremiah is laying down of dissension, of factions, uniting under the king and removing the trappings of this world, the things that have worked their way into your heart and your foundation that you didn't intend for them to be there. They just were, that have come in over time. It's time to uproot that so that we can be as we really are and unite with Christ and unite with our brother. Because Paul wanted to see them come alive, and that is what we want today. So we want to see your walls be raised. That every family in this church is operating as one unit and has walls of steel that are impenetrable. We're not worried that you're going to fall away. We're watching you shake the heavens. We're watching the enemy bombard you and it doesn't even move your household because they're rooted in their function and their foundation. How unstable is your household? How unstable are you? We must root ourselves and build a wall that can stand the test of time. And the the way that we do it is by laying everything else down, coming under Christ and unifying here and right now. In Hosea 5, the 15th verse, says, Then I will go back to my place until they admit their guilt, and they will seek my face in their misery. You will earnestly seek me. This is our goal. This is our goal for you today, that we might recognize our state, that we might recognize our state, that we would come to that place that the Lord had ordained that would bring us to recognition of who we are, where we are at in the actual state of affairs. See, We have to begin to recognize it so that we can grow and learn. But when we do, it produces something that is valuable. Our goal is that every man, every family will recognize their guilt and refuse to go any further until they have made the necessary repairs to the foundation. I'm going to let you in on a small secret. You're incapable of recognizing your areas where you're deceived. The point is you cannot see it. So when we spend all of this time preaching about getting the foundation right, then joining, well, the truth is you also have to join with men to get your foundation right. See, when you are deceived about an area of your life, you don't recognize it. That's why you've been this way this long. You need somebody to point it out and help you get it right. But when we have men and women that we let into our lives, it gives us an invaluable opportunity. We get to see what we could not see. We get to get it right and grow stronger in the Lord, to grow in our maturity, to grow in the power of God being displayed in this church. Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he will heal us. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Can you say that's a good word? The Lord injures. He'll turn to his disciples and say, are you still so dull? He'll call other men (laughs) the devil themselves. Say, get behind me. But he doesn't leave men there. Nor do we intend to leave you there today. When you stand up in the righteousness of God, realizing where you're at, that God has torn down your walls so that you can see what was broken underneath, he will heal you. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will restore us, that we may live in his presence. Can somebody say that you feel resurrection in this room? Come on. You feel after two days and after a third, something is going to change in here. Many of you have allowed areas of your life to be dead for way too long. There's no reason for it. If you're willing to let yourself be torn down so you don't look so pretty, so you don't walk in looking like you already have it all together, You're okay with somebody asking you how you're doing and there actually is something wrong. 
If you're okay with sitting before the Lord and hearing, this area of your foundation has not been right and hasn't been for decades. It's time to get this right. That we can't move on any further. Then there is power. Then there is resurrection. Then there is life that is available to us. God Himself will come into this room and heal that wound that you've been harboring. He will heal that offense that you have had for years. He will restore you and build you up in the way that you are supposed to be. And I'll give you one last thing on this subject. It's not just for you. You see, we think about us being healed and us being restored. But the truth is, your sins and your pain and the things that you hold on to hurt your brothers a whole lot more than they hurt you. It's just the truth. You can see it with children and even faster When you're working in a team, when you're working closely with people, your issues and your foundational problems come out quickly because it starts to cut the people around you. We have an obligation, both to the Lord and the people around us, to take God up on His offer, to allow Him to tear us apart, to invite inspection from our brothers, because we will result in something that is resurrection power, that is stronger than what we ever saw before. Do you want to be stronger in this room? Yes. Because the alternative is staying dead like you have been and stagnating and not growing anymore. I'm going to choose resurrection today. So, Chris, my laboring in vain, man, is there some part in my life where I'm laboring and I'm putting work in and it's vanity? Ray, is there some part of my walk, where my labor is just in vain. Can you see into my life and can you see some part of my life on that day when I stand before the king? Is there some part of my life where he's going to say, yeah, that was vanity. You poured out your effort and it was vain. It was for nothing. Is there something in there? Ask yourself this morning. If you feel led, ask a brother, is there some vain part Of my life where I'm just, I'm going after it. But it's not producing anything that it should. Uh, I'm trying to be something. But it's not the thing that I need to be. In this room, right now, every one of you have got more sand in your foundation than you know. And some of you know that it's there but don't want to dig it up. That's the case in our lives when we sit and we actually allow the Lord to machine through it. We allow other men to machine through it. It's the case for elders in the room who've been in the faith for 40 years. And the reason that they are elders is because they've continued to grow, continued to mature and disciple. And it's the case for the newest believers in this room. We must refuse to sit on the sand in our lives and build on the rock. And then we're going to stand up and make a determined goal to build a wall of steel. To build with the men and women that are in this room a wall that rises to meet our God. That is something that He can see and smile on and be pleased with. Has your own calling, your own life's worries, your own cares and foolishness gotten in the way of you seeing what your brothers need? Have you been more concerned about your way of life, your children, your What's going on in you? Another way to say this, have you been more selfish about the walk of Christ than community-minded, than kingdom-minded? Because the kingdom is not just a team effort. It's interdependent. It's one organism. It is living and breathing dependent upon the people that are on the left and right. 
See, I know in my own life, I often can get very concerned about how Judah is doing, about how Sasha is doing, about how my kids are doing. But the point of you managing your household well was always to be a benefit to the people around you. And if it is a selfish walk in and of itself, then what was the, the point? You can't build the kingdom of God on a selfish foundation. You can't build a wall through selfish stones. They must support each other. They must support the walk. How in this room can you stand up and support your brothers better? How can we thrive in the callings that we were given? How can we hone in the functions that we were given? How can we be the kingdom of God rather than staying where we are when we stand to our feet? What is it that you were going to do? You have the option of staying stagnant and choosing sand over a firm foundation, or you have the option of running to do the will of God, running to your brother, running to repentance for the things that have stayed in your heart and getting things right before your king. Is our hope that not just physically walking to the altar, but every man in this room would walk, move, and create a change in his life, not just acknowledge it and move on. Because the last six weeks up to this point weren't for nothing. Our king wants to rise higher. He wants to hone men's functions in and see them thrive with their families. He wants to see them accomplish their work. And he wants us to join together, to lock arms and see that wall rise as one man. It's not going to be purposeless. We will refuse to let our labor be in vain because we're going to give ourselves fully this morning. Stand to your feet. So it's time to kick down and start building again in Unity Church. It's time.